Uh, as Todd said, my name is Matt, Matt Crossman. I'm, uh, one of the, I'm a member of the church council here, We're getting used to some new nomenclature. Um, I, I'm also on the teaching team, which is why I'm standing here uh, right now. Um, welcome again to the Elm City Vineyard. It's good to see, it's good to see you here. You know, depending on how you count, um, we are either past or coming up on three years since the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Um, I was looking at like headlines, you know, you can just like Google a date and the New York Times will tell you what the headlines were. I was Googling, all right, it doesn't work for today. Today's headlines were all about the Iowa caucuses three years ago, but yesterday's headlines uh, three, three years ago were all about COVID in China. Um, as if that was uh, how that was always just going to remain. It'd be another few weeks before the U.S. shut down. So much changed then when life stopped, when schools shut down. Um, I, I, there are particular things that stand out in my memory, right? That, that night in the NBA, like, suspended its games with, like, players, like, warming up on the floor and, like, Mark Cuban turning to someone and being like, seriously? Like, I own one of these teams. I had no idea we were shutting the thing down. Um, I remember Yale undergrads who had gone home for spring break just being told, like, don't come back. Um, we will ship you your stuff. But those were just the surface things, right, in many ways. The big changes were just beginning, and many of them, I think, are still with us. I think some of the, the big shifts have had to do with the ways that we relate to home. For many of us, that spring, our world shrank to the space between the walls of our homes. Home became everything. It was where we slept, it was where we worked, it was where we went to school, where we went to church, where we exercised. For many, we still had to venture outside, perhaps some of us, to venture outside to work, um, to buy groceries, to check in on family, friends, neighbors. But still, our worlds got smaller. So much had to get packed into our homes. And I remember watching um, a, a new Apple TV series that, that was released. I think they must have rushed it out the door to make it April of 2020. It was perfectly timed. Stuck in our home, we watched and got glimpses into other people's homes. And these were homes of the before times, right? It had all been shot before the pandemic. Homes that were, sure, places of refuge, of safety, but also places of welcome and hospitality. Homes that spilled out the front door and down the street, uniting whole neighborhoods and histories. That episode about Theaster Gates, um, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's still worth a watch. And I remember Hannah and Junie and I, we watched entranced, stuck at home, we were longing for home. I take it home has rarely, rarely been more salient, more sort of front of mind, or more distorted than it is right now, after three years of, the, since the beginning of the pandemic, however many years of pandemic life that's felt like. And yet, I think having paradoxical feelings about home, feelings like longing for home while stuck at home, I think those sorts of feelings are actually um, pretty typical when it comes to how we relate to home. 
The hunger for home seems to pull us in opposite directions. On the one hand, home is where we long to return. It's the, the, the site of some of our most important memories, the place where we became who we are. And so we pine for home. We remember home. You can think of the Wizard of Oz's. There's no place like home. And yet home is also the object of our most sort of fanciful or imaginative hopes. We can think of West Side Stories somewhere. Somewhere, I don't know, there's, there's, a, maybe, there's a place. I've never been there, but there must be a place that we could call home. Often home is the place we've never been, but to which we are longing to return. We want to go back to a past we know never was. We want, long to go forward to a place we've always been intended to be from the beginning. The longing for home is memory and imagination intertwined, the future fulfillment of a past we've never known, the return to a place we've never been. Like Langston Hughes' poem in which he says both, let America be America again, and also, America never was America for me. There's, there's an againness that makes no sense, right? A longing for a return to a place we've never been before. My hunch is that most of us, we've felt this longing. We've felt these pangs. Maybe some of us feel them acutely right now. Maybe this is not, maybe New Haven is not your home and you're missing it. Maybe some of us feel those longings only weakly. Perhaps some of us long more straightforwardly for a return to a very real home where we most definitely have been. Maybe some of us would need to take a few beats before we could get in touch with that, the idea that home the home we most long for would be maybe an idealized version of any home that we've ever really known. Perhaps some of us are in danger of believing that the home we long for is a place that we could build on our own if everyone else would just get in line. Some others of us are probably only too in touch with the fact that the home that we long for is quite different than any home that we've known. Perhaps the homes we've known have been places from which we have escaped. Maybe we've lived outside the walls of homes claimed by others, homes built in part to exclude us. We know what it's like to feel very much not at home. Maybe what it's like to feel not at home in a place somebody else promised us would be home. Perhaps we struggle even to hope that there is a place for us, a place where we might belong. There's something in us that hopes, I think, nonetheless. Whoever we are, we long for home, a home we've left, a home we might make together, a home we dream of someday. And what I want you to know today is that if you feel that longing, whatever version of that longing you might feel, that longing to find your way home, to return to a place you've never been, I want you to know that there's a reason for that. 
I believe it's because God created you to be at home, at home with other people, at home within the natural world, at home with God who created it all and calls us all to be at home with God and with one another. And that longing to return somewhere we've never been is the residue of the story of God in the human heart. And I think that's true whether we think of ourselves as religious or not, whether we regularly speak of God or not. I believe the hunger for home is a memory of God's intention for the world and a longing for its fulfillment at the end of all things. And so this longing for home can be a window for us into the heart of God. And that's, that's my prayer for us this afternoon, is that we would find that this, that we'd find that, that this, 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 this desire to, to find home is actually a way that we can get in touch with who God is, what God's about in the world. So if you join with me, let's, let's, let's pray and invite God to be here. Lord, we know that you are here. We know that you have invited us to be here with you. We just pray, Lord, that you would open our ears, you would open our eyes, you would help us to hear what you have to say to us, help us see the things that you want to show us. Give us visions of the home that you want for us, the home that you are making in our midst. Amen. So this afternoon, I, I want to do something both, I think, kind of straightforward, but also pretty far-reaching. Um, I, I want to I tell you the story of God and all that is not God. That's how theologians talk about everything, right? It's like two things. There's God and all that is not God. I want to tell you the story of all of that um, from beginning to end. Um, as the story of home. And we'll, we'll start in the second chapter of the Bible, we'll finish into the in the second to last chapter of the Bible, and we'll skip almost everything <laughs> in between. Um, I'm, just, I'm just letting you know. Um, but I think that what we'll get, even just from that sort of bracket, is I think we may get a hold of a perspective from which we can make sense of the whole thing. The whole thing being, you know, the whole thing. God and all that is not God. So we'll, we'll, we'll start in, um, in Genesis 2. Um, actually, before we get there, um, we'll start in Genesis 2, in the Hebrew book of beginnings, in, in what is often called the second creation story. Um, I don't know if you know, there's like one creation, but two stories helping us make, uh, make sense of it. Um, the first one is that like let there be story. If you've, you maybe you know that one, it's all about pattern and structure. God divides light from dark and day from night, and waters from the dry land. It's pattern and structure. The second one is much more sort of earthy, much more material. Only actually in the last year did someone point out to me the, the etymology of, of these things, the connection between pattern and material. Um, so, pattern and father, or pattern, pater, father, material, mater, mother. Maybe you're already hip to that. It was new to me. 
And now I can't, I can't but notice all the places where this division pops up. And here it is in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1, God is father, setting the pattern. Genesis 2, God is mother, up to God's elbows in the material of the creation. We read it this way. It says, in the day that the Lord God made the heaven, or made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till, to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there God put the man whom God had formed. The human being is created as part of a home. You can't, like, you can't, like, pull the two apart, right? Like, where does, like, the, the creation of, like, the human and the creation of the garden sort of, like, they're, 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 wove, they're interwoven here. There's this home, a home for plants, for animals, for humans, and for God. And that home involves intimate relatedness to the non-human world. There's this need of, for the human within the garden. The garden... You know, it always just amuses me. Like you've probably heard, some of you have heard me like be amused by this before. But there's like two reasons that nothing has grown yet. Like, one, definitely God's fault, right? There's no rain yet. All right, fair enough. But like equal to the fact that there's no rain is that there's no one to work the garden. There's this picture, um, right, that we're being given of of the sort of human place within the natural world where they're at home with one another. They need one another. The garden can't flourish apart from human involvement, and yet we human beings, we're, we're formed from the earth. We're not separable from it. We're made of the mud, sort of molded by God out of it. There's this mutuality to this relatedness, mutuality in this human place within creation. But this home also involves intimate relatedness among human beings. The passage goes on and talks about how it's not good for the human being to be alone. Relating to animals is sort of like audition the animals. <laughs> Relating to the animals is important, but not enough. Relating to other human beings, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, this is irreducible to being at home. The home also involves intimate relatedness with God. The the sort of maternal intimacy of the clay formed, sculpted by tender hands, and the intimacy of the breath breathed into nostrils coming alive, and the domestic intimacy of the description of God at home in God's creation, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. The picture we get of this home is that the whole thing is knitted together by this relatedness of all things to God. Each component of this home is necessary. They all need one another, but they all relate rightly to each other when they relate rightly to God. 
all are at home with one another as all are at home with God in being God's home. My, my friend and senior colleague Miroslav Wolf has gone so far as to say that this is the reason that God created the world. She like um, stood up on, on a stage once and was like, this is like one of those big questions. Like, why is there something instead of nothing? I, you know, like, is this a reasonable question even to ask? And he's like, but we have to ask, why did God create the world? And he said, God created the world to make a home, a home for God and for all that is not God. God is fundamentally a homemaker. And at the beginning of all things, we see God in God's most fundamental role, making a home, molding the household members with God's own hands, placing them just so, caring for them, inclining them toward one another, not as puppeteer, but rather God interacts as uh, not as an architect, but as a member of the home residing in the garden, right? He, God doesn't come along and sort of like build the house and then, you know, hand over the keys at the closing and, and head away. Right? God is living in the garden, residing there, residing as a member of the home, but not just any member, the member of the home in whom all the various relationships that constitute the home sort of find their meaning. And we see this most clearly, we see this, the, the centrality of this relatedness to God most clearly when we see the whole thing kind of fall apart when that relationship with God is broken, when God is disregarded. All of a sudden, the sound of God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze is to be feared. And Human relations are all of a sudden um, disordered. They become fraught and hierarchical. Patriarchy, right, is among the first fruits of sin. And human relations with the non-human creation become fraught and antagonistic. The enmity with the snake and the intransigence of the land that only reluctantly gives its fruit. Genesis shows us not just a sketch of a home as God intended it, but also an account of the gaps that we have experienced between home as God intended it, home perhaps as we long for it, and home that we have actually known. The homes we make for ourselves offer echoes of the home that God intends, but they also fall short in important ways created to be at home with God and through God with one another and the whole of creation, we instead experience alienation from God and the fragmentation then sort of follows. We're alienated from one another and so home for some becomes a matter of, of keeping others out. The boundaries of home become impermeable, like, like fortress walls rather than welcoming front doors. Alienation occurs also within those walls. In the extreme, the intimacy of home becomes the basis of intimate abuse and particularly painful, intimate harms. And the impermeable walls of home can feel in those sorts of moments like prisons that trap us. Home for some looks like a place that can never recover the security of the garden. Home in these cases can look like tents built on the outskirts of the walls of a home built for others, a home built to keep us out. 
These homes can cultivate belonging within their boundaries, but they can't sort of keep out the sense that like this home is itself not at home within the larger context. And of course, we experience alienation from the rest of creation. More each year, the homes that, we built, that we've built are threatened by their own alienation from the natural world. Again, homes that aren't, I mean, be home within, but they're not home without. They're, the homes aren't at home. As rising waters, wildfires, storms, or speak, right, to the ways that our homes have not been good global housemates. Our fundamental way of life is incompatible um, in many ways with living at home on our planetary home. I, I don't want to give the snake, I don't want to give the devil too much press, but if we like, we can describe the various overlapping crises in which we live as overlapping crises of home. Forced migration in the present and the colonial legacies of forced migration in the past both think center on the loss of home. We do well to remember right, that, that white supremacy has a history and that history has everything to do with the removal of people from their homes and our contemporary racial conflicts often turn precisely on struggles about whose home this is, who gets to belong and where. So nationalism, right, in all of its forms, white nationalism here and nationalisms that spawn wars across the globe, nationalism, I think, is everywhere a crisis of home. We talked, you said the, the ecological crisis, right? As I said, this too is a crisis of home. Ecology, right, literally the study of home, the logic of home, when it goes awry, something's gone wrong with home. Growing economic disparities, those too, I take it, are crises of home. Economics, that's that eco, that oikos root again. Uh, economics is something like, like, the, like the laws of home or the management of home. And when we have an economy, right, that, that often only knows how to provide for some by depriving others, we have a crisis of the, ma of, of like the management of our shared home. Only the disordering of something so essential to God's good purposes could reach, could, could wreak like this sort of havoc on this sort of scale. And of course, the good news is that God is not unaware of this, right? Much of the story of Scripture tells of God calling us home. God calls the people of Israel out of Egypt so that they may be at home with God and the land that God provides. And even before they get there, the tabernacle that travels with them in, in their midst is, is God's, God's house, God, God's home with them. Later, when the people build a temple, again, God's house, God's presence descends and God dwells with God's people. God's intention was never simply to dwell with one people, but rather through God's people to transform the whole world. Prophets like Isaiah speak to God's global ambitions because God knows to seek to make a home, a true home, a home that is itself at home within its own context. To seek to make a home is to seek to make a world. And so at the beginning, right, that's, we saw that's just what God did. God created a home for these two embedded in a world at home. I don't know if you get a chance now or over the next few weeks to take to look closely at Lucy's drawing that she made for this series. Um, see all the various 
all, all the various animals, all the various um, sort of environments, all the various pieces of this home, the home that God has given us, the home that God has made us long for is a, is a whole world. So God's intentions to dwell with the people of God are, to, are intentions to make a whole world God's home. And that's what Jesus comes to announce. He's the herald of God's coming to be with the world. He is, in fact, God come to dwell in the world, but he's also the herald of a time coming when God will make God's home among mortals. Again, Jesus is also God making God's home among mortals, and surely will walk us through this in a couple of weeks, but the pattern of Jesus' ministry is like he doesn't have an earthly home, and so there's nowhere for him to invite us over, right? We shouldn't imagine Jesus sort of saying like, hey, come, come out of your home, come into mine. Instead, Jesus is constantly inviting himself over into other people's homes, and when he shows up and he's like rightly received, all of a sudden our homes become his homes. Our homes are set right, right? And that's, and that's true for, the, like, the world as a whole. I don't know, I don't know if you, it, somehow it seems like some, in parts of the church we've gotten this wrong, like, God's going to, like, call us, like, out of this world into, like, some other world that will be the home. You know, God, God is like, this, this is the one, this is the world, um, and God is setting it right, making it new. Wherever Jesus goes, where and as he's received, the unhomed homes he enters are rehomed. They become homes again of the sort for which we long. Relationships are reconciled, sinners are forgiven. But it's all just a foretaste. As the kingdom comes, as the home of God comes to be in our midst, Jesus also declares the kingdom coming. He declares a time when, as Revelation 21.3 says, the home of God is with mortals. This is when we see not just people reconciled to one another, but peoples reconciled to one another. As every tribe, every tongue, every nation come together to be at home with one another in the new Jerusalem, the garden city, right? It's both of these things, a garden and a city, a mature creation in, in which the full flourishing of like human creativity and culture and the full flourishing of the natural world like, aren't in competition. They're actually, they're mutually sort of reinforcing even as the flourishing of each people um, contributes to the flourishing of the whole. It's a whole world at home. Right, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. You can talk to me later about what I said before. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you about Paul. Anyway, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. This is the world for which we long.
And there is something importantly new and different about this. The whole story of God, of, of God and all that is not God is not just like one big stroll around the block, leaving the garden and just trying to get back there. It's leaving the garden and, 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 and God taking that fall and somehow wrestling out of it um, uh, the, 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 the full um, fulfillment of all that God had promised and call, all that God had intended from the beginning. Not a return to the garden, but, but a maturation and fulfillment of the whole. This is the world for which we long, whether we use God talk to describe that longing or not, whether we speak of Jesus when we name that longing or not. This is the world for which I think, I think this is the world that we long for. God knows that to make a home a true home where belonging is the rule both inside and out, you need to make a world. To remake a home, you need to remake a world. We don't always remember that. We often take on homemaking projects that are naively narrow. We just want to make homes that will work just for us and people closest to us. Sometimes that's a survival strategy, and in those cases, I wouldn't want to talk down that sort of like tent work, right, that tries to offer refuge for those who find themselves on the outside of fortress walls. But sometimes we're the ones building a fortress, unwilling to concern ourselves with the ways that our homes make home harder to find for others. Now, I don't mean to suggest that we need to get into the world-making or world-remaking business. <laughs> the only thing worse in some, in some ways than someone with a narrow vision for a home, building a home just for them and theirs, <clears throat> is that same person taking the same narrow vision and deputizing themselves to remake the whole world. We don't need to be in the world-remaking business because God is in the world-remaking business. Our goal is to respond to God's invitation to be a part of God's world-making, home-making work. And that, I take it, is exactly what God is up to in fits and starts. We see it here and now. As relationship with God is restored, people are reconciled. Sinners are forgiven. Rich and poor find themselves at home in one another's presence. We can and we should enter into this work at God's invitation in service of God's vision of home in which all belong to one another. But the, but the final film fulfillment yet beckons. And if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, every moment that we feel at home in that Jesus sort of way is also a moment in which our longing for home is quenched and intensified. When we see some small part of the world at home, we should see only more clearly the ways that the whole is not at home. We should only long more for the world, the whole world, to be set right. The good news is that God is at work. Remaking home, inviting us home, inviting us to be at home with one another and with God. A few invitations today. 
First, maybe you're here today and you, maybe you really resonate with that longing for home, that desire to belong, but you've never really thought about what that, that, that might have anything to do with God. Maybe that's a sort of novel idea for you. Um, in that case, I, I think it's possible that Jesus is inviting you to take a step towards the possibility that your longing for home is a longing for life with God. A step for you today could be to, to say yes to life with, with Jesus, to invite Jesus to enter your home and transform it with his presence. Or maybe you've really been invested in making a home for yourself, but not all that invested in being at home with others. Jesus, in that case, I think might be inviting you to let him grow your vision of home. Like I said, I, th I, think, I think the last three years have probably done some unhelpful sort of narrowing of home for a number of us. Sort of like necessary for a season. <laughs> but there's like God's invitation to like lean back into an expansive vision of home. An invitational, hospitable sort of vision of home. Or maybe you've been working really hard at trying to remake the world on your own. Maybe you're listening and thinking like, Matt, I can see only too clearly that to make a home requires to make making a world. Um, and I've been working on that, and it's, it's hard. <laughs> um, I know we have some like ambitious people in this room. Uh, there are probably a number of you that are sort of in that place. Like, yeah, I want to see the world changed. And I take it that in, in that case of like trying to like remake the world on your own, I think then the invitation is that Jesus is inviting you to lay that burden down. Not because the world doesn't need remaking, and not even because there's no role for you in remaking the world, but because God is actually in the business of remaking the world, and there can be a new freedom for you in entering into God's work, right? Entering into God's work rather than trying to sort of just bootstrap it on your own.